This evening's reading is Acts chapter 27, verses 22 through 25. And for the benefit of those who didn't get to read the passage, uh, a little back, uh, background. The Apostle Paul is travelling in a sailing ves- vessel in the Mediterranean. He's pr- travelling as a prisoner under armed guard. He's on his way to Rome to be tried before Caesar. They're experiencing uh, a storm of such violence that the crew, with all their experience and ability, had given up, up hope. But Paul has this to say to them. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, so take heart, men for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I, as I have been told. Okay, I have to admit that I have never felt more Southern than I do right now having to, <laughs> having to follow Philip after reading the, the text. I would kind of like to hear him preach. I, I would like to see him elucidate on this passage. If I were from England, I know it would be from Southern England. <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, one of my favorite TV shows was a silly comedy by the name of Gilligan's Island, and uh, which, by the way, started a conversation between Mia and me about how innocent and clean uh, TV shows were back then. I, I'm old enough to remember when sitcoms were actually funny, and they were clean enough to enjoy as a family. But that was... I think by any standard and any definition, it was intended to be. The very premise of that whole show was was silly in nature. And you may remember that every episode opened with a catchy theme song that introduced the plight of that group of castaways. Feel free to sing along. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But it began with just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. And then it ended by talking about all of those who had been cast away on this deserted island. I won't go through all of the lyrics, but every show began with the full singing so that you would, if you'd never seen the show before, you would immediately be caught up as to what the plot was all about. So according to that uh, premise, seven people set sail on what was scheduled to be a three-hour tour. By the way, I think also all of those of us who were in school at the time and were watching Gilligan's Islands on whatever night it came on were always astounded at the uh, huge wardrobe (laughs) that was sported by all of those people that were there just because they had been cast away on three. How many people bring clothes, you know, on on a trip like that? But anyway, the minnow was the boat they were on. They got caught in the storm. They ended up on this uncharted tropical island. And, of course, the comedy develops from the failed attempts at being rescued uh, from that island and the interaction of a very diverse group of castaways and all the people that would wind up on the island, like the Globetrotters. I mean, you know, (laughs) all kinds of people wound up being there and interacting with with the cast. The point here is their shipwrecked was turned into a comedy. But when we're looking at Acts chapter 27, as we're going to be doing tonight, I think that all of us would agree that most shipwrecks are anything but funny. I've seen a lot of car tags and bumper stickers that said I'd rather be sailing 
but I've never seen a single one that ever said I'd rather be shipwrecked. You know what I'm talking about. The adventure of sailing across the open seas, of course, carries a certain exhilarating thrill that to people who really are into sailing, I, I understand, can almost be addictive. But there's nothing really addictive or attractive at all about sinking into the cold waters of the deep in the middle of a bad storm. I can thankfully say that being shipwrecked is not something that I can add to my resume of experiences. And you could probably say the same thing. But such is not the case of the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul just experienced so many things in his life. In fact, his short adult life as a New Testament Christian that it just boggles the mind. And by this time in his life, you would hope that Paul, poor old Paul, had paid his dues. And the worst of his experiences would have already been behind him. He could say the worst is over. Surely his final ministries would be smooth sailing for the rest of the way. But you and I know that that is not right. That's not the way it played out. So in Acts 27, Luke vividly records their shipwreck experience and, and then Paul's reaction to it as he's, Luke is pinning these things by inspiration and giving us this divine record. And what begins very innocuously as a Mediterranean cruise turns into one of the most frightening ordeals in Paul's life. Luke, having endured the same death-defying adventure, gives us his eyewitness account. And as we study Luke's account of Paul's perilous voyage to Rome, we want to learn some lessons that I think that we can apply to our own lives. Whether you've ever been in a shipwreck or whether you've ever even been on a boat, it doesn't matter. Because Acts 27 gives us at least five anchors in our life that can help us through whatever shipwreck, whatever storm that we may be going through ourselves. So all of us will inevitably face some perfect storms in our lives. And we need to learn to face those storms head on and we need to be able to stare down our feelings of fear because we know what God has revealed to us in his word just as Paul knew what God had told him about the outcome of that particular voyage. So let's look for a moment at Paul's shipwreck. And as Philip said, there's 54 verses that really tell us the complete story there. And for obvious reasons, we can't read all of those tonight. But I'm going to be referencing uh, the passages in their grouping and, and kind of lead us through this passage as we, we learn some things and as also we try to make some application of these principles. Paul's shipwreck story begins there in uh, 20, chapter 27, verse 1, and the first real paragraph goes down through verse 12, kind of leading us up into the really scary parts. And so the journey began with all the pleasant expectancy of any kind of ocean voyage that you might take, even though... What they're doing, of course, is not a pleasure cruise. Placed under the care and the custody of a Roman centurion, the Bible tells us his name was Julius. Paul was joined by Luke and, and a Macedonian companion by the name of Aristarchus. God had told Paul that he would make it to Rome. But Paul, at that time, when God had given him that assurance, I'm sure had no idea what kind of circuitous, perilous voyage he would have to go on in order to wind up at that ultimate destination that God had promised him. And Luke then describes the two vessels that Paul would take. And there were a couple of different boats involved. One was a large vessel that had uh, originated at uh, Aramidium and, and a harbor town that was on the western coast of what's now Turkey. That's southwest of Troas if you want to check your Bible atlas. It was a merchant ship that worked the southern coastline, eventually docking, the Bible says, at Caesarea. They sailed on that ship up the coast to a little place called Myra, and then they boarded an Alexandrian cargo ship destined for Rome. The ships that Paul sailed on were nothing like those wonderful cruise ships that you see on all the advertisements today, you know, that you could 
really stay in your cabin and never know that you're on a ship at all. Those ships that Paul is traveling on here is, is nothing like that. The ancient vessels that Paul would have been on were made of wood, and, and the one that was shipwrecked was probably, at least from what I have researched, probably was one of the largest available, maybe as long as 180 feet. Of course, that's about 60 yards, if you think about that, in scale on a football field. That would be about the depth of this uh, auditorium times two. So the, we're talking about a very large vessel, and that may sound big, but that's not big at all when you're out on the waters of the Mediterranean Ocean. Their departure date was most likely in late August. But the delays along the way, the Bible says, forced them to look for a suitable porter, uh, port in order to be able to stay and harbor uh, their boat for the winter. It wasn't a pleasant time to travel the seas and certainly to be able to fight the cold winds and the harsh currents of the Mediterranean. I'm told, at least from what I've read, that there are few more treacherous bodies of water than that route just below the southern reaches of Greece. And the Bible says it was there that the storm hit full force. The story continues in verses 13 through 20, if you want to glance through those verses. In many respects, the storm that Paul and his companions were encountering there developed along the lines of what modern meteorologists have called the perfect storm. Some of you may remember back in 1991, such a storm occurred in the waters of the North Atlantic when the volatile fronts came in from the east, west, north, and south just off the coast. They converged just off the coast of Massachusetts. It created a threatening combination of hurricane force gales and towering waves that had the entire east coast running for cover. Most fishing vessels retreated for safer waters. Those men worked those waters, and they knew that there's a time to run, there's a time to stay, and this was the time to get out of there. But you may also remember that author Sebastian Younger, in his book entitled The Perfect Storm, tells the, the tale of that strange storm and the ill-fated ship, the Andrea Gale, whose captain and crew vanished without a trace in the middle of what Younger referred to as the perfect storm. Now, you also may remember that the book was turned into a movie by the same title with, uh, I think, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg were in that movie. Younger's dramatic retelling of that freak convergence of elements in a single story really sounds a great deal like what Paul has experienced here in Acts 27, just to give you some point of reference. And then when the centurion chose to go with a majority vote rather than to listening to Paul's advice, which had come, of course, from a divine source, he made a grave error in judgment. The voyage changed from difficult to outright dangerous almost overnight. The velocity of the winds increased, as did the ocean swells. The storm grew so violent, their situation became so serious that they began to jettison the cargo and even the ship's tackle, trying to lighten the ship so that it would ride higher in the water. But also, I'm told that when they did that, it made the ship almost impossible to control. Thankfully then, in the middle of that storm, God sent a message to Paul that he conveyed to everyone on board. And the biblical record tells us about that message, starting with verse 21 of chapter 27. And it actually goes down to all the way through verse 10 of chapter 28. And Philip read a part of that to us a moment ago. Can you imagine going through that kind of storm and then that ensuing shipwreck? And we're going to be talking about some of the time frame, some of the chronology of this, to help you really to appreciate what these men were experiencing. What an exhausting and terrifying experience that had to have been. And when Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 begins talking about his credentials of suffering, what he had gone through, 
not in spite of, but because of his discipleship and because of his commitment and determination to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, a part of that list includes his many shipwrecks, and this is one of them. And he's talking about something that was very vivid and very real. Now, I want to make a little bit of application, if we may, tonight. In fact, more than just a little bit. I think if we just looked at this from an historical perspective, we would be selling ourselves short. Because there really are some spiritual applications that we can make from what is otherwise historically a very fascinating story. How do we handle our own shipwrecks? Again, whether you've ever been or ever intend to be on a boat or a ship at all, everybody goes through storms in life, right? I mean, we all do. And, and you can just come to church and you can listen to the announcements and you can hear some of the storms that some of our own people are going through right now at this moment in their lives. So if we're honest about the reality of life, then we can acknowledge that life presents many storms that we will encounter. We're going to begin with that premise tonight. And we may wish, we may wish that life only had smooth sailing and sunny days. But the practical side of us knows that that is anything but the reality of life. You may also remember from Psalm 73 that Asaph really struggled with that himself. Why do good people suffer and why do wicked people prosper? That was his dilemma. And he goes through that psalm talking about how that his feet had almost slipped. We've, we've discussed that before. But, but that's still an issue 2,000 years later. Well, with Asaph, that would have been a lot longer than 2,000 years. But we're still wrestling with why does God let these things happen to, to good people who are trying to live their lives in a way that are pleasing to God? And, and you look around and you realize that there are some people in this world who have more sunny days, more calm days than other people. But eventually, everybody's going to experience their share of dark and stormy days. So let's, let's look at that. It's for that reason that we need to prepare for those days and we need to learn how to handle them. For example, what do you do when you find yourself in the hospital and you're trying to emotionally, mentally, and physically in every other way, trying to wrap your brain around the news, the prognosis, and the diagnosis that the doctor just gave you. I mean, your knees are buckling. How, how, do you, how do you handle that storm in your life? Some of you have been there, and some of you will be. What do you do when you discover your mate has been unfaithful to you? Or, or your mate just walks out? He or she comes in someday and just says, out of the blue, it seems, I don't want to be married anymore. And certainly not to you, and you're left alone. Or, or you're wrestling with the months and the years of opportunity that passed when something could have been done to salvage that marriage that now in retrospect those problems seem so obvious, but then they weren't so obvious. What do you do when the threatening storm clouds have begun to roll in at the office? It was once a clear sky of long-term employment, but now the dark clouds are beginning to roll in. There's so many other storms and so many other shipwrecks that life can bring, like the inevitable death of our parents, the death of a spouse, problems with our children, problems down at church, and you know that you can make that list almost infinitely long. The best, the best, the best plan for surviving a storm is preparation. I'm going to say that again. The best plan for surviving a storm in your life, in my life, is, is preparation. In no season, if we can go back to the shipwreck analogy, there's no season fisherman or any responsible ship captain who's going to head out over the open sea 
without a thorough knowledge of the vessel, the equipment, all of the things that make for uh, are of necessity in, in sailing a ship and without making sure that all of those things are in proper working order. They make sure that they familiarize themselves with the course charts. They know where, where they're headed out of and where they're headed to and the weather conditions, and they never leave port without anchors. I want to submit to you in the last few minutes of this lesson tonight five anchors that Acts 27 supplies us that will help to literally anchor us in the storms of life. And, and we need to never leave port without these anchors. We do that ahead of time. We do that in calmer conditions before we ever face the inevitable challenges. Preparation is, is key to our survival as well. So again, God makes available to us a number of anchors that help can stabilize us in the midst of the storm. Anchor number one is the anchor of spiritual stability. I, I hope that you will, as you're listening, you will refer back to the page that you're looking at from Acts 27 because all of this is right here in God's word. The anchor of spiritual stability helps us to stand firm when it would be very easy for us to lose our bearings in the midst of a storm. In Paul's shipwreck story right here in Acts 27, Luke tells us that the folks on the ship reached a point where they had lost all hope of ever being saved. I mean, you can just feel that kind of pessimism coming off the page as you read, and, and they're just determined. They're absolutely sure of the fact that they're not going to make it. Any of them are ever going to make it home again. And it was at that point that Paul pointed all of them in the direction of spiritual stability. God had sent Paul a message filled with promises, not just for Paul, but for everyone on board. And Paul had encouraged everyone to hold on to the promise of God. That's what I mean by spiritual stability. Our stability in the storms of life is anchored in the promises of God that are found in the Word of God. And there again is one of the reasons why we need to be in this book. We need to be understanding and re-familiarizing ourselves every day through our own personal study of all the things that God has promised us. And I'm just convinced that if we'll do that, if we'll read and remind ourselves of the promises of God, our faith will grow stronger every day. Our stability in the storms of life is anchored in the promises of God. So uh, that reminds me of Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 2, that contains one of the greatest promises in the Bible that we certainly need to cling to in a storm. Here's what it says. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. This is Jehovah God speaking. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now, if I stop right there, I think we would all confess that that gives us a lot of confidence just reading that, to know that God says, I know you. You, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Now, that's speaking metaphorically, of course. The Lord's not saying if you ever try to ford a river and get in trouble, I'll be there for you. He's talking about the high waters and the dangerous rivers of life. And when the waters of life are, ra are raising themselves to dangerous levels, when difficulties reach maximum proportion and we're just thinking in our heart of hearts, it can't get any worse than this, and, and life ship seems destined to sink, we can put our trust in God, knowing that he is with us and that he will faithfully bring us through those storms. You're mine, he says, and I'll bring you out of the rivers of life. Now, I think it's significant that as we look at Acts 27, that God never promised to take the storm away from Paul. I'm sure you've noticed that. But God promised to bring him through that storm, and I want to remind you that that is exactly what he did. So when we trust in God and we put our faith in God's promises, 
It'll give us an anchor of spiritual stability to help us and to stay moored and to stay anchored in, in the storms of life. Here's the second anchor. It's the anchor of interpersonal stability. Here's what I mean by that. As Paul and his companions faced that life-threatening storm, Paul knew that staying together was one of the secrets, one of the vital keys to their survival. And he says so. You can read it right there in the text. You know, the temptation in the midst of that storm was to abandon ship and let each person fend for himself. But Paul wanted them to know that is no way to survive a storm. Our tendency when we're in dire straits is to cut and run, isn't it? All the while shouting, every man for himself. And that's what the sailors on board the, the ship with Paul wanted to do. Now, unfortunately, human nature often causes us to retreat into isolation when we're going through a storm. Isn't that what typically happens to the normal individual? We want to lock the door. We want to close the blind. We want to cut ourselves off from contact with other people, and we don't want to be bothered. And tragically, we find ourselves isolated and alienated in those circumstances. I have known many people who then sink into depression. Often they turn to destructive things that they think will help them get through that storm, like drugs and alcohol and sometimes even worse. And a much better choice, the Bible says, is to reach out for the anchor of interpersonal stability, to reach out for the support of family and friends and especially God's people. I, we've observed before, I know that you didn't have to get me to tell you for you to realize that we are in the church for a reason. We need each other. And I don't mean just in the foxholes of life. I mean we need each other day by day. God put us in his forever family so that we could help and support and encourage one another in the storms of life. And I have seen that happen effectively over and over and over again. I don't know how many hundreds of times now I've heard some member of the church say, had it not been for my church family, I just wouldn't have made it through. And then they talk about the things that they've been enduring for the last few days, weeks, months, or sometimes even years. Rather than lowering the lifeboat, jumping in all alone, we need to stay with others aboard the ship, and we need to lock arms together. That was Paul's recommendation that came from, from the divine headquarters, and that is, I think, the recommendation that comes to us today. Rather than crying every man for himself, what we need to be crying is all for one and one for all. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us that we need to be acknowledging and doing in our lives. By God's design, you and I need each other. And we've been designed to make it if we'll stick together. The anchor of interpersonal stability can hold us steady in the midst of life's storms. That's one of the reasons why you see these banners on the wall. All of these one another passages are exactly what I'm talking about tonight. Paul said the only way we're going to make it, if my grandpa were talking, he would be saying to those men, the only way you're ever going to go home and see mama is we stick together. We have got to have one another's backs. Anchor number three is the anchor of physical ability. Can you imagine fighting this intense storm for two days? No. Two weeks. For two weeks and getting virtually no nourishment or sleep during those two weeks. That's what the men on Paul's ship experienced. And amazingly, that's how a lot of people react to the storms of life today. They just run their tanks empty. And, and then they end up physically weak and emotionally drained. And sometimes, ironically, even unable to sleep while they're going through all that turmoil. But the anchor of physical ability helps to guard us 
against physical depletion and exhaustion. Now, I'm not a dietitian, and I'm certainly not a health expert. You can tell that by looking at me. But you notice that Paul encouraged the men on board, "You you guys need to eat. Now, that's not King James, but that's what he told them. You need to eat, and you need to be refreshed, and you need to be renewed. So you got to eat something. Strengthen your physical ability. I, I, I'm thinking now of 1 Kings 19, back over on the Old Testament side of things, when Elijah the prophet was exhausted and depressed. And the Bible says that God sent an angel to minister to Elijah. What was the remedy that God supplied? What did he put on the prescription pad and then hand to the angel and say, now give this to Elijah? Here's what you need, Elijah. You need to eat, and you need to drink something, and you need some sleep. Have there been times in your life when you've been going through a storm when that would have been good advice for you as well? In the middle of life storms, we need to make sure that the needs of our physical bodies are met because our bodies are playing an important role in helping us to maintain emotional and spiritual stability. But what's important in the middle of the storm is also important when we're not in a storm. We need to make sure that we're giving attention to helpful habits of healthy eating and sleeping and exercise all the time so that we'll be prepared when the storm comes. Anchor number four is the anchor of mental, mental stability. In the middle of Paul's storm here, he did not waste any time or energy by denying or fighting against reality. And yet that's what happens oftentimes when people are going through a particular storm. I can't believe. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? I can't believe this is happening to me. So there's a, a, a period, a stage of denial. But Paul never did that. He didn't like the fact that they were in the middle of a two-week storm. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's not crazy, so he wouldn't have enjoyed that. He wouldn't say this is pleasant. He didn't like the fact that they were way off course. He did not like the fact that they had run aground and that they were all going to have to jump into the water. But rather than complain about those things or to rail in anger or just to bellyache about all the circumstances, he simply accepted the reality of the situation and he did whatever he could while they were in the middle of that situation. We waste a lot of time and energy when we fight to accept the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. Fighting against whatever the reality is is not going to change the situation. You can be in denial until the, till you die. But that will not change the circumstances. Accepting the reality of the situation, seeking God's help in the midst of it, gives us that mental stability that we need in the midst of a storm. And so we need to accept the reality of whatever situation that we're in. Here's the final anchor. It's the anchor of purposeful stability. Now, I sound a little awkward, but that's the word that I've chosen. Purposeful stability. You see, since we have the other Once we have the other four anchors in place, giving us stability in those four areas, then we can seek to use the storm to accomplish the purposes of God. Now, I'm going to have to admit from my own personal experience, when I'm going through a storm, at least in the early stages, usually the foremost question in my mind is not, how can I bring glory to God through this awful situation because what I'm thinking about is how can I get out of this situation what what can I do to rectify no guys especially and I think all of us to a certain degree are problem solvers aren't we so number one you know we've got to get get a plan and find the escape hatch whatever but I'm saying if we've got these other four anchors in place now we can kind of be a little bit more objective in our assessment of the situation what we're going to do about it 
and what we want the potential outcome to be. Mark it down. No matter what storm we're going through, God can use it for our good and for the good of others around us. And again, that's very difficult to explain, and usually we don't want to go through that explanation when we're standing in a funeral home, do we? <laughs> you know, that's not really words of consolation to say, now, someday you're going to look back on this and go, I, here's what I learned, and I'm a better person for it. That's not the time for those kinds of lectures. But if our overall purpose in life is to serve and to glorify God, and I'm th I think you're here tonight because it is for you, then that shouldn't change when we find ourselves in the storms of life. And even when we find ourselves shipwrecked, we still need to be committed and determined that we're going to bring glory and honor to God. I, I'm, I'm begging you. Don't live a life that honors God and in the last moments of your life throw all of that away by how you've dealt with a, that particular storm. It may be a, a life-ending injury or illness. But those are the moments to let our faith shine so that people can see that our real desire in life isn't to bemoan our circumstances or our situation. Our real commitment in life is to see that God is, is glorified and that he's honored even by our deaths when it comes to that. Our goal ought to be to be a blessing to others and to serve as an example of, of, of faithful consistency to everyone who's watching what's going on in our lives. And I guarantee you, they are watching. We don't make a real impression on others when the sun is shining and when the birds are singing and when everything is going our way. Anybody can love and serve God and acknowledge them, Him and honor Him then. The real impression for God and for good is made when life falls apart. Listen to me, church. When life falls apart, but we don't. Isn't that right? Paul is an excellent example of this in the midst of the storm and the shipwreck that he experienced. Look at the different ways that Paul served the men on the ship as they went through that storm. You can just, if we had time, we would point out the specific verses. But the Bible says, the divine record here says he prayed for them, and there were times when he encouraged them, when he comforted them, when he protected them, and when he actually fed them. Julius, the centurion, and probably most of the rest of the passengers and the crew were not believers. But watching Paul trust God through the storm had to have had a huge impact on them. It's just like when Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi over in Acts the 16th chapter, and I think it's about verse 25 where the Bible says, but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And then you remember the rest of that statement. And the other prisoners were listening. That was not your normal inmate behavior, I'll guarantee you. And you can bet your boots that the other prisoners noticed that. Write this down somewhere. We can be sure... That other, in fact, many people are watching us to see how we navigate the storms of life. What lessons are we teaching them about trusting God and remaining faithful servants of God even when we're in the midst of a storm? Are we proclaiming to the world that we serve a God of, of blue skies but not a God of storms? Are we proclaiming to the world that we ourselves are fair-weather Christians and that we serve God only when he blesses us, but not when he allows us to go through tough times. No, that's, that's not the Christian we want to be. As I said earlier, the secret of survival in the storms of life is what we do ahead of time when we're still in calmer waters. 
And today, if our lives are storm-free, then we need to take advantage of that peaceful lull before the storm hits because it will hit at some point. And, and we need to work on mastering the use of these five anchors we've talked about tonight. And we need to get the anchor of spiritual stability in place by growing in our relationship and our faith in God through prayer and through a daily study of his word and by learning then to trust in the promises of God. First, you've got to familiarize yourself with the promise of God, and then you've got to grow so that you can trust in those promises. And we sure need to get the anchor of interpersonal stability in place as we develop our relationship with other people, and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank God for them. And we need to get the anchor of physical stability in place as we take care of our bodies with healthy eating and resting and exercise habits. And we also need to get the anchor of mental stability in place as we understand clearly whose we are and how that God is the one in charge so that we can always address and deal with the realities of life. And then finally, we need to get that anchor of purposeful stability in place as we look to serve and glorify God every day and in every way, regardless, regardless of what we may be going through. And if we get those anchors in place, then when the inevitable winds of adversity began to blow, and they most certainly will blow, then we'll be ready and able to respond in faith rather than just reacting in fear. And then those anchors will hold us strong and secure us in the midst of the storms and the shipwrecks of life. I hope you have picked up on the fact that at least one of the implied premises of this lesson tonight is God wants us to make it. He's on our side. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he doesn't want to see anyone ever sign on to the Lord's army. And it is a volunteer army. There are no induction notices you'll not be drafted into his army. That's why we sing a song of invitation and not a song of coercion. But once we make that commitment, he wants to see every single one of us live with him in heaven. And tonight, if you've never started that journey, through your faith, sincere, genuine repentance of all your past sins, courageous confession of Jesus as the Son of God, and being immersed in water where you have his blood wash your sins away, you can start a life lived to glorify and honor him. Not a life without storms, but a life where he has promised to get you through every one of those storms and someday greet you in heaven. If that's what you want, won't you come while we stand, while we sing.